Well, thanks to the music guys and sound guys and everybody that came up and, and set up. Today, though, I want everybody that's in the front, I want you to turn around. I want you to look at the back. Those are the back row Baptists, okay? So those are the true Baptists. Those that as many people today as possible can, can sit in the back. So just um, that's what everybody shows. We are going to be in Colossians chapter 3 uh, today. So if you want to turn in your Bibles. I really appreciate the the worship that we had. I'm an equal opportunity uh, worshiper. Uh, I love the hymns. I love the the praise choruses. And and what we sang today really takes me back to when I first became a Christian. And I at 17, and I I began to attend this church, Valley Creek Baptist Church in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And so I grew up in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. um, Not to be confused with Elizabethtown, PA, right? Uh, But Valley Creek Baptist Church was a special place, uh, and it's a special place in my heart. Uh, It was a church that that was out in the middle of a cow pasture, and they called it a cow pasture revival. Uh, The church had grown from 50 to 500 in in just over 10 10 years. It was was a great place, and when I became a Christian after after a young man uh, that I went to school with in high school, he shared the gospel with me at school. I became a Christian. I accepted Christ at school one evening, uh, and I started attending church at Valley Creek Baptist Church, and, uh, and I tell you, I love that. That church. It was one of the hardest things uh, that God had asked me to do in my life was to to tell me to Ray, it's time for you to move on. Uh, but it was a special church. The church there was a couple in the church that that adopted me and discipled me uh, in their home. The church taught me uh, to have a, a heart and a passion for missions. Uh, they instilled that in me that that you're supposed to go. That that the gospel we're supposed to share the gospel where we're at, but we're also supposed to go uh, throughout our world and share. The church made evangelism a normal expectation. Uh, we would see uh, we would see fifty to hundred people uh, saved each year. I remember one service we had we had twenty five people baptized in one service, and that was just because they had gotten saved within such a short period of time. The church gave me my first opportunity to teach, and despite how horrible I was, they gave me the first opportunity to preach, uh, and they continued to love on me. Uh, Valley Creek was a special place, and so uh, BJ, you, you didn't know this, but those songs were all songs that I learned there that, that I look back on very fondly uh, about worship. Now, the family of God was one I asked him to do, but, uh, but the others, I, it brought me back to that place, the place that, that taught me what it means to love and to serve one another, uh, a church that loved me when I was pretty unlovable at times, uh, when I was pretty difficult. They were patient with me as I grew in my faith. I love that church, and I love the people uh, in that church. It taught me what that church really is a family. And we would sing that song that we just sang at the end of services, and we'd reach across the aisles, and we'd hold hands, and, and we'd sing that we are the family of God. And the church, Valley Creek, taught me that, that a church was, to, to, was a family, that you were to love one another that you're to serve one another, that you're to encourage one another and bear with one another, you're to forgive one another, and you're to stand with one another through every trial. A really painful thing happened after I moved away from college, or way for college. Satan attacked that church. See, Satan doesn't like when a church is being effective for the gospel. Satan does not like when a church is faithful to the message of salvation and is faithful in giving and going and praying. 
And when I was away at college, Satan attacked the church. And the Bible tells us very clearly Satan's goals. In John 10, 10, it says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, Satan doesn't want churches to be effective in reaching people for the gospel. Churches, Satan does not want churches to be effective in worshiping the king. He wants us to focus on our own disagreements. He wants to focus on our own pain. He wants to create barriers uh, for within, within the church and outside the church to be hindrances to the gospel and hindrances to knowing God. Valley Creek was a special place. And Satan attacked it. And the church that I loved was torn apart. And even today, people that I love are in two different places because he tore it apart and they allowed it to happen. Mount Calvary Church is a special place. It is. We've said that we've been uh, we've only been here for a year and a half and it did not take us long to figure out that Mount Calvary was a special place. Where people truly loved one another. People would truly serve. I mean, it was a special place. We've we've been a part of a church in uh, in Kentucky, in Louisville, Kentucky, for ten years, and and we'd commented how Mount Calvary was was so different than that. God had called us there, but this was a special place. It is a special place, and and church. As we go through our passage today, as I studied and prepared over the last several weeks, I was just confronted and struggled through the idea, the, the thought that, that we are in a spiritual war and that Satan is attacking our church because he does not want us to be the church that God wants us to be. He doesn't. He wants to tear us apart. He wants nothing less than to destroy us. And so today's sermon, as we, as we work through this, our passage, I, I promise you that this is not something that's easy for me. I know that there are people here that are hurting and struggling. I've talked to many, but you've become my family. You've become our family over the last year and a half. And, and as I studied through our passage today, that's what I was struck with is that we are family. And God doesn't want us to be torn apart. Church, we are in a spiritual war against the prince of darkness. Satan wants us to be mad or frustrated with one another. Satan wants us to look down upon one another. Satan wants us to judge one another. Satan wants to cause as many divisions as he can. He wants to disrupt our worship and distract us from the gospel. Satan wants us to hold grudges and not forgive. Satan wants us to stop doing the work of God that God has called us to. But God has something else. God has something else in store for us. He, he, he wants us to put on the armor of God. He wants us to, us to submit to him. He wants us to resist the devil and watch him flee. He wants us to draw near to him and trust that he is sovereign. And that even in the messiest of situations, even in the messiest of situations, God can and is working all things together for our good. God wants to demonstrate his power to us today. He wants to demonstrate his power to us and his grace to us. And he wants us to impact our world for Christ. I was blessed as Jonathan, uh, we were in Kentucky, and Jonathan and I were texting this week is just how the ministry, the opportunity to minister for the gospel came about because of the church. 
because this is a special place because of the work that God has been doing in and through the lives of this church. That is how the opportunity this week came about. Church, we have, we have some healing to do as a family and individually. And today, as we look at Colossians chapter 3, my challenge is that it starts with each of us individually looking at ourselves. You know, you go on a you go on an airplane flight, right? And you, you're sitting there, and the flight attendant's giving the safety briefing, and they're talking about if the cabin loses pressure, oxygen masks are going to fall. And and what they tell you every single time is you need to put on your own mask before you begin to help somebody else, right? The scripture says you got to take the log out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of somebody else's. And so today, my challenge is to look at your look at your heart as we go through our, our passage today that, that make sure that, that this time is about you and God. It's Make sure it's a conversation with the Father and ask Him to show you your heart. Because it's so easy when you sit in sermons, and I've done this, it's so easy to sit in sermons and say, oh, I hope they get it. Man, I just hope Joe Joe's listening. You know, you're sitting in the back and you just you just want Joe just get this message. But today it's about you and the Father and ask him to show your heart. Show you your heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, we ask you to search us and to know us. Lord, I pray that you would help uh, help try me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way that you say in your scriptures. Lord, I pray that you clearly speak to us today, that you would humble our hearts, and that you would heal our family. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in your word today, and Lord, that you would help me to be bold and yet gentle. Lord, I thank you for my salvation in Jesus Christ and the hope of glory that we get to look forward to, that, that all, the, all the pain and all the trials and all the suffering that we experience in this life are one day going to be gone, and we will get to experience eternity with you forever. God, we look forward to that day. We long for that day, and we pray that you would come soon. Lord, I thank you that you've made us a part of this family. And Lord, I pray that you would be at work in uniting us and bringing us together for your gospel and for the work that you've called us to do. Lord, we pray in the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So first point, we're going to be at verses 9 through 17 today. The first point that I want you to see is that we should allow no division among us. We should allow no division among you. Verses 9 through 11 of Colossians chapter 3. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the, knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a new creature. New creature. You have died to sin and been reborn to Christ. And in verses 9 and 10, when, it's, when it takes, talks about laying aside the old self, uh, lay aside the old self and in verse 10, put on the new self, uh, 
verse 9 says, since you have done this, right? So this is something that's already happened. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the old self has come off and the new self has been put on. We've been clothed. This is something that has already happened in our life. It's something that's happened through our salvation in Jesus Christ. When we come to him recognizing that we are a sinner in need of forgiveness and we ask him for that forgiveness and commit our lives to him, our old self is taken away and our new self is given to us. We were once ruled by our heart's sinful desires, but in Christ we've been set free from the bondage of sin and we now walk in Christ. So it said this is something that's already happened in verse 10. As it says, you know, it gives the very clear impression, though, um, having put on the new self, right? It's already happened. Who is being renewed, right? This, This idea, this idea of being renewed is something that is an ongoing action. It's something that happens continually in our lives. And so verse 10 gives us the impression that this is not easy. This new self that we have in Christ, this new creature that we are, to live in Christ is not easy. And so we have to continually be renewed. Verse 10 says, uh, if you have the King James, it'll just say is renewed. But the Greek, the, the original language conveys this idea of ongoing action. And it's this ongoing sanctification process. Right. Yesterday we were we were driving up from Kentucky uh, back to uh, back to Pennsylvania. And that is part of the sanctification process of God in my life, because it is difficult to drive 10 hours with three kids and every single hour a different one's got to go to the bathroom. Okay, this is part of the sanctification process of Jesus Christ, right? In our lives, we are being made more like Christ. In God's eyes, God looks upon us and he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees us clothed in Christ's righteousness, but we are not yet made perfect. And so this idea, this verse 10, when it says we are being renewed, this is this ongoing action of being transformed into the image of Christ. This is the ongoing act of sanctification in our lives. And how does that happen? In verse 10, it happens to a true knowledge or in knowledge of Christ. We come to know Christ. We come to know, uh, we come to become more like him by knowing him through his word, by, by living for him and walking in life for him and allowing him to work in us and through us. We are being renewed and being made more like Christ. When that happens, verse 11 says, when that renewal happens, there is no distinction among us. It says there's no distinction. And it says there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or freeman. This church in Colossae, Paul is talking about the natural divisions that existed at the church of Colossae. And these natural divisions were on every level. Right? The church was diverse on every single level. They were diverse racially, religious background, culturally, socially, economically. They were diverse on every single level, and yet in Christ they were united. In Christ they were united. And Paul says at the end of verse 11, it says, But Christ is all and in all. Paul is saying that if Christ is supreme in our lives, and that goes back to chapter 1, right? Chapter 1 of Colossians. If Christ is supreme in our lives, then there is nothing else that can divide us. There's nothing else that can cause divisions among us. It doesn't matter if you send your kids to public school, private school, uh, or home school. It doesn't matter if you prefer the King James or the NIV. It doesn't matter if you prefer hymns or or contemporary music. It doesn't matter if you prefer to wear a coat and tie or you're more comfortable in shorts and t-shirts. It doesn't matter who you're going to vote for in the upcoming election. If Christ is supreme, 
if Christ is everything to you, and the gospel message of salvation is everything for you, then there is nothing left to divide us. As a church, we have to remember that, that Christ is the reason that we are here. We are here because Christ has worked in our lives and brought us to salvation, and there should be nothing that can divide us. So we look at the divisions in our nation today that were brought very front and center through what's happened through the shootings this week, and we think about the movements of, of Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter. It doesn't. The reality is that nothing can heal our nation except Christ. Christ is the only thing that can unite us as a nation, as a church. The only thing that can heal our church or heal our nation, the only thing that can bring true unity is Christ. We may have differences, uh, different preferences, different opinions. We may disagree even passionately on what happens or on decisions that may are made. But if Christ is supreme in our lives, if Christ really is our all, our everything, then we can be united. We can be united. But when something else is supreme in our lives, when something else is supreme in our lives, that's when division happens. Division happens when when something else becomes more important than Christ. Division happens when when politics is more important than Christ. Division happens when music is more important than Christ. Division happens when, when, when style and preferences take priority. Division happens when a single individual person is more important than Christ. They will divide us. We as a church have to decide to allow no division among us because in verse 11, Paul is looking at the diversity of the church and he says, in Christ, there is nothing that separates you. There's nothing that separates you. Christ brings you together. He unites you because you have been saved by grace through faith. Church, individually, we are already united with Christ, something that Pastor Jonathan preached on last week, but we have to choose to be united in Christ together. We're in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual battle. Satan is, Satan is active in our world today. We, we battle against the flesh, but we also battle against ba- powers that are above us and beyond us. And Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy, whether that's our church or your life. Satan wants there to be division among us. Satan wants there to be distrust. Satan wants us to be impatient with one another. Satan wants to divide us by our pride. He wants us to bicker and be judgmental of one another. But God, God wants us to trust in him. God wants us to lift up Christ as supreme in all things and that he be our focus in everything that happens. He wants us to trust that he is sovereign over even every circumstance, and he wants us to believe that he is working all things together for our good and for his glory. He wants to unite us in Christ, but it's a choice. We have to allow no division among us. And the weapon, he doesn't, he doesn't just say allow no division among us, but he gives us a weapon to fight that battle, and that's point number two, is we have to choose to love one another. Read with me verse 12 through 14. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, 
which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, I want you to look back at verse 8, which Pastor Jonathan preached on last week. You look back at verse 8, and I want you to compare verse 8 to verse 12, right? Verse 8 is anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. And verse 12, verse 12 is compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Verse 12 speaks of who we are supposed to be in Christ, our new self, our new self, who we're supposed to be. Who, and this is echoed in other passages throughout Scripture. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter 4, just later in the passage, verses 31 and 32, says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 9, 8 and 9, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And verse 13 adds with bearing, one, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Our world needs to see these verses lived out in our lives. I don't care about political philosophy, and it doesn't matter whether someone gets what they deserved or whether someone was treated unfairly. The world needs to see the church living out these verses in our biological families, in our church families, and outside of our walls. It needs to see a people of grace, a people that, that live out these verses, compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness. But these are not natural for us. Verse 8, verse eight, the wrath, the anger, the malice, the slander, the abusive speech, those things are natural to us. Those things come without effort. You don't have to work at that. It'll happen. You know, before I graduated from seminary, a mentor told me, he's like, he, the best advice I got, I don't know if it's the best thing I learned in six years of seminary uh, that it took me to get through seminary, but it's the best advice I, I was given before we moved to Pennsylvania to, to take over a church. He told me, he's like, Ray, wherever God sends you, love the people that God gives to you. He says, choose to love them. That's what his message, his challenge was to me. He said, they will not always be easy to love. They will attack you. They will attack your family. They will complain. They will refuse to serve. But you choose to love them because God loves them. So church, is there somebody today in your life, maybe here in the church or outside the church, in your family or elsewhere, is there somebody in your life that when you hear their name or you see them, they just make you angry? 
they well up. You're right, verse eight comes out that anger, that math, that that or wrath, anger, malice that that comes out so naturally when you see an individual, and it wells up the hurt and anguish and the bitterness in your heart. And my challenge today for you is to love them, choose to love them. Pray for them. Don't pray that they would get what is coming to them, but pray that they would know the Lord, that they would walk closely with the Lord, that they would experience the blessings of the Lord and choose to love them. Elders, today, let me challenge you. There are people in our congregation who are hurting and who are angry, and I know at times you feel... You feel frustrated and attacked, and you just want people to trust you. But let me challenge you. My challenge to you today is simple, is to love the people of God. Choose to love them. Do not grow tired of serving and praying and listening. Choose to love them. God has given you a great responsibility to love them as the shepherd loves the sheep. In congregation, you may be here today, and you may be hurting or angry, and you may believe that the elders handled the situation with Pastor Dick poorly. You may believe that they didn't extend grace like they should have. You may believe that they don't do enough or that they didn't do enough to help Pastor Dick. But it's your choice whether you're going to love them. My challenge to you today is choose to love them, to pray for them, to make wise decisions, to pray that they would walk closely with the Lord and experience his blessings. Which verse best describes your heart? Verse 8 or verse 12? Verse 8, the old self, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Is that what best describes your heart today? Or is verse 12, the new self, who we're supposed to be in Christ, having our hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another? Whether we recognize it or not, we are in a spiritual battle. In your daily life and in the church, we are in a spiritual war, and Satan wants to rob us of our peace and joy. He wants us to believe that God is not bigger than the circumstances or the current trial that we find ourselves in. He, Satan, Satan is the deceiver, and he wants us to believe that God will not make things right. Satan wants us to hold on to our anger, which will turn into bitterness. He wants us to be impatient and not wait on the Lord. He wants us to have no hope. Because those things will tear us apart. Satan wants us to believe that those people that we are angry with, that the people that we're frustrated with, that they don't deserve grace. You ever thought of that? Somebody, you think of somebody that you're upset with, somebody that's messed up, somebody that's hurt you, and you say they don't deserve grace. But look at verse 13. What does verse 13 say? Um, verse 13 says. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. We can be these things. We can be this new self. We can put it on. We can live it out in our lives. We can be compassionate. We can be kind. We can be humble. We can be gentle or meek. We can be patient, bearing with one another and forgiving one another because Christ has forgiven us. We, we have to remember this. We lose sight of this. It's so easy. We have to remember that Christ saved us, but he didn't have to. You didn't deserve the salvation that Jesus offered to us on the cross. Jesus didn't have to come and die. 
God could have left us in our misery and our sin and our filth, and yet he sent his son to die on the cross that we might have salvation, that we might have hope, that we might have peace and joy. We didn't deserve the grace that God gave to us. We didn't deserve the Holy Spirit to come and indwell within us, to live with us, within us. We didn't deserve the gift of eternal life that he offered to us through Jesus Christ. But grace, in grace, Christ chose to love us instead of giving us what we deserve. In Christ, our relationship with each other should be defined by verses 12 and 13. And we do that by choosing to love one another as Christ loved us. Do not be so mad or angry or frustrated or bitter with someone else because of what you perceive to be their pride, their lack of humility their lack of gentleness, their lack of compassion, lest you fall into the same sin that they have. See, when we love one another, when we choose to put on love, verse 14, verse 14 says that is the perfect bond of unity. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Because anger and malice and slander are replaced with humbleness and brokenness and gentleness. They're pl- replaced with compassion. We can still disagree we can, uh, and still love one another. We can still disagree without attacking one another. We can disagree and bear with one another and be patient and forgive one another. We have to allow no division among us. We have to choose to love one another. And we do that in verses 15 through 17 by focusing upon Christ. Focus upon Christ, verse 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Verse 15 says, when we choose to put on love, which unites us, the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. It will reign in our hearts. You'll be confident in the greatness and goodness of God amidst your trial. So let me ask you a question. Are you at peace today? Right? We struggle with this concept of of what's God's will in our lives. And many times we say, uh, well, if I'm at peace about something, then that is God, that I'm at peace. I'm at peace if if I'm doing the will of God. Well, sometimes you're not at peace because you're not uh, because you're not trusting in him, because you're not letting him rule in your hearts. Verse verse 15, that peace of Christ, we have to let it rule in our our hearts. And that's going to happen in our circumstances, whether they are good or bad, whether whether they are what we want or what we don't want. Are you at peace today? Oh, you can, be, you can be at peace and yet still at the same time be in anguish and struggling with your circumstances because we're promised, we're promised that life will not be easy. We're not, we're, we're not given the promise that in Christ that, that we will have no problems, no challenges, but we can have peace because we boldly go to the throne of grace and we cry out for mercy and we agonize in prayer and we can stand up and we can walk away knowing that God is bigger than the problem, bigger than our trial, bigger, bigger than our circumstances. We can have peace because we know God is still God and he hasn't changed. We can have peace because God loves you. We can have peace because we know when we choose to love, we are in the will of God 
because in choosing to love, we are trusting in the Lord. Verse 16 we have to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. In verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ richly, richly dwell within you. Verse 16 connects back up with verse 10 and that idea of renewal uh, to a true knowledge according to the one. Verse 16 connects back to that in that we are supposed to let the word of Christ which richly dwell within our lives. Sometimes when we're in a trial or a difficulty, it's difficult to read the Word of God. Sometimes you're in pain and struggling, and the very last thing you think is going to be a comfort to you is the Word of God. And so you say, I can't read that. I, your heart is in anguish, and you're struggling, and you're in pain, or, or you're, you're anxious about something, and you can't read the Word of God because you're like, that's not going to help. But the Word of God teaches us and admonishes us. Paul challenges us to let it richly dwell within us. It's highly valuable. It's of great um, uh, addition to our lives. It teaches us. It teaches us to sing with thankfulness in our hearts. Is the word of God a part of your daily life? Because I can guarantee you, as you go through trials and difficulties... How you respond is going to be based on how you've stored up the Word of God in your life, how it's been a part, a consistent part of your life throughout the days, the weeks, the years preceding it, how you're going to respond in circumstances. You need it to be a part of your life. And let me challenge you that if it's not, if it's not something, if it's something that maybe you read once a month, Maybe you, you, you haven't read it in the last six months and you only hear it when you're here at the, at the church. Let me encourage you, find somebody today that will hold you accountable. And just you text them each day, hey, this is what I read today. You find a partner, you find somebody, you can say, hey, can you hold me accountable to reading and to learning? And maybe it's 10 verses that you read. But if you're reading it every day, you're investing and you're allowing the richness of God's word to dwell in you. In verse 17, here's the key, right? Here's the key about the unity, about how we love one another, about how we allow no division among us, about focusing on Christ. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Is there something that's happened this week where an attitude you had towards someone else this past week, did you do that in the name of Christ? A decision that you made this past week, did you do that in the name of Christ? A conversation that you had with someone else, did you speak in the name of Christ? Right? I, when I was a teenager, the WWJD thing was the, the big, uh, big to-do thing, right? You wear the bracelets, what would Jesus do? But in reality, it's not what, what would Jesus do. You are doing in the name of Christ. What you are saying, what you are speaking, what you are acting, and how you are responding to people, that is to be Christ through us, living through us. And so verse, um, verse 17 has a parallel in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. We often make decisions that we think will make us feel better. We make decisions on what we do, what we say, or how we treat people based on emotional justifications rather than with the desire to glorify God. This great deceiver lies to us. He whispers in our ear and he says, God wouldn't want you to feel that way. He doesn't want you to feel that way. He wants you to be happy. 
when in reality that's a lie. Maybe God is trying to get you to decide to follow and do the will of God despite how you feel. Maybe God is giving you the chance to say, Jesus is all. Jesus is Lord in my life, and he's Lord over my feelings as well as every decision that I make. Mount Calvary is a special place. In the last year and a half, you guys have become our family. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. So many of you have become special to us. And it's a special place because of what God has been doing and what God desires for us to accomplish. But church, we have a great enemy. The enemy that desires for nothing else than to destroy us and to tear us apart. And he'll be successful if we let him. He will be successful if we let him. We must submit ourselves to the Lord and resist the devil and put on the full armor of God and watch the devil flee. Something we have to choose to do. If we focus on Christ, choose to love, and allow no division among us, Satan will gain no foothold among us. We're a family. God wants us to hold together, to love one another, to be humble and compassionate with one another, to be kind and forgiving. God wants us to choose love. He wants us to choose to love one another because love is the perfect bond of unity. For you today, is that where you're at? I don't know everybody's heart. Maybe this was just the message that God was giving me for one person in the day. But is that where you're at? Is there somebody you need to forgive today? Whether, maybe it's here. Maybe it's outside in the rest of your life, in your family or your workplace or wherever it is. Is there somebody you need to forgive? Are you living in humbleness and compassion and kindness? When you see the the Facebook post that makes you so angry, do you respond in humbleness and compassion? When you see the person that's hurt you, do you respond in gentleness and kindness? Where are you at today? Do you bear with one another? God has great blessings in store for us. God is wanting to do something great among us. He already has, and he wants to continue to do that, but we have to focus upon him. I don't know where you're at today, but if there's something that you need to pray pray with somebody about, you can find me. I'll be at the front here following the service. You can find Pastor Jonathan or one of the elders. We'll be happy to pray with you. Christ is supreme in all things. Then he will unite us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you chose to love us and send your Son that we might have forgiveness and life, eternal life in him. God, I thank you that we can have hope and we can have peace and we can have joy despite sometimes circumstances that are anguishingly painful. Lord, I pray that you would hold us together as a church that you would heal where there's brokenness, that you would help us to forgive 
that you would help us to look upon one another as you look upon us in grace. God, you are good to us. And Lord, we await how you will be glorified out of these circumstances and how you will be exalted in everything that we do going forward. God, Lord, we wait for you to work and to lead. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this week in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would continue to use us and use our church family in the community as we live out our lives, as we, as we seek to live out grace and humility and love, loving kindness in our communities. Lord, that you would continue to make an impact for your word, for your gospel, and for the kingdom. God, we thank you for your patience with us and your graciousness towards us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to worship you and do everything in your name today and this week. God, we thank you. Pray that you go with us as we leave this place. Bless our families. Bless our time together. Lord, draw us close to you. It's in your name.